Welcome to LilyPod episode 77, Letting Go to Love Again, with hypnotherapist Ruthie Renee. Jeff and Kathy Teichert, bringing you another episode of LilyPod, a production of Love in Later Years. We are certified life coaches, authors of the Amazon bestseller Intentional Courtship, and members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed toward mid-singles and later married couples. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. Welcome, LilyPod listeners and LilyTube viewers. Uh, we have a special guest today, Ruthie Renee Rye. Uh, Kathy, would you like to introduce Ruthie to I our would, audience? I would love to. Renew, Ruthie Renee is a certified clinical hypnotherapist, and she's trained in EFT and NLP as a life coach. She had her own journey finding love in later years and is in the middle of living the best years of her life. She teaches self-hypnosis courses when she isn't busy cuddling with her cute husband and or walking with him. So, and you're a newlywed, right? I am. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, 11, 11, 21. Yes. So about yes. six months. Yep. That's awesome. And we all love the number 11. Yes, 11 right. is just, it's, it's been very special to us since high school. So it, I've only been married six months, but I have known him for 30 whatever years, however many years it's been since high school. That's yeah, well, awesome. we, we would like to, to kind of go through that story with you. Uh, so tell us how you met your first, or, or sorry, your current husband um, to begin with. Okay. And I know well, that was many years ago, but back in 1990, we were both working at the same uh, checkers as a double drive through burger joint in the South. It's like rallies. It's the um, same type of thing, but it was new and, and so fun. And um, we were, I was working there with my sister and these cute boys showed up and they're twins. They were not identical twins. And we just got to be friends, friends led into dating. And he was, he, I was smitten. So, so smitten. And the problem was that we came from different religions and, and we were also kids and didn't know, you know, how to navigate love and all these big feelings. And everybody around us kept saying we weren't good for each other and um it, people actually threatened him to get out of my life wow. which is really sad but in well, the end people, was it just friends at school or people in my ward which will <laughs> tell you probably what my religion is and um my family members people at school and actually sadly missionaries Okay. 
Yeah, all of the people that I was hoping and praying would be kind to him and welcome him. Um, it just didn't work out that way. And, and it's, and it's fine. It's fine. Now we now looking back, we see why it was so important for us to split paths for so many years, even though it was devastating for me cognitively, you know, I don't know how many of your listeners can relate to this, but I was so in love and everything felt so right and perfect, but I wanted to do what the right thing was in the eyes of God. And so I took that path and then ended up in a marriage where even though on paper, everything is as it should be. And I felt out of place. I felt like it was wrong. And it was just so hard to, to come to grips with that in my mind. And of course, now you know, I was a kid, I didn't understand psychology or, or the subconscious mind or anything like that. But now looking back, it's like, oh, of course. But so we were separated for 27 years. We both married other people. We had children. We lived in different states and life goes on. And then um, he, oh, he was separated a few years, a couple of years before I ever came into contact with him. And um, once I I don't even like to say divorce, you guys. Sometimes divorce happens and it has to happen. And sometimes it's ugly. Mine was not ugly. Mine was a celebration and a graduation for both of us. We parted on very good terms and both of us, because we were in the right space in our minds, were able to find our forever person very quickly. And I was married to um, my high school sweetheart, love of my life that divinely came back into my life and my ex married his forever someone just a couple of months ago so it doesn't always have the love in later years it doesn't always have to be ugly and that's one thing that I just help I help my customers with my clients and just want to preach the world it doesn't have to be ugly it doesn't have to be hard yeah and it doesn't have to be in your way later years it could be yes sooner the, the sooner, um, if you've healed and your healing, it sounds like came through not only recognizing there was purpose in the divorce, but also seeing it even as a good thing. Cause we talk of all the time about at least seeing purpose in it mm-hmm. so that you can accept it, move on, um, and heal whatever needs to be healed. But, um, for you, it, you already saw it as a good thing. So you there wasn't much to heal from. It sounds like true. That is true. Now I did. I had a lot of healing, many oh, yeah. years of healing, but that was while we were still married. I, mm-hmm. I took the advice of, uh, I think it was Brooke Castillo who said, don't get a divorce because you're having problems, fix the problems first. And then if you still feel like divorce is a good idea or the right thing to do, then move part, part in love and, and honor and, and grace. And so I worked really hard for a number of years on repairing and healing and just trusting that happiness would come either with that husband or something would divinely open and, and we would both feel comfortable with a split. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it sounds like, and I've heard people say that too. Like, um, I don't think all, obviously all of us have not experienced that. Some of us like just go into 
um, being divorced is a complete shock and, you know, all the healing happens after. Um, but, um, I have heard people say that they did a lot of healing during. And so when that time came, they are, they were really pretty ready. Yeah. Because now, just to call work. myself out, I will say that the I did blindside my ex. He he mm. did not expect it because we had done so much repair and we were really doing very well together. It was he was quite blindsided when I told him this is what we needed to do. But still, it only took a couple of weeks for him to shift into a place of peace and acceptance. Um, because we had we had been preparing our minds we he's been learning right along with me and so when when it was clear that this is happening he accepted it with grace and moved on and very quickly found the love he was actually searching for now now I, this is interesting and i i want to drill down a little deeper on it sure you you made of the comment earlier that um I don't remember your exact words, but that your relationship or your marriage with your first husband never felt like it was right. How, how did you understand or interpret that, uh, that feeling? Oh boy. Well, um, first of all, in my twenties, I, I just felt like I was stupid. There was something wrong with me. Uh, what, why could I felt like I was still hung up on my, my ex-boyfriend who turns out I was, but, <laughs> but, um, I, I didn't understand how to listen to my body or how to make sense of what was going on in my head. So for me, it was just a feeling. I feel out of place. I feel like, you know, how you can, you can um, hug your family members and you can really love them. You can even kiss them on the cheek. But if you were going to make out with your brother, that would be really wrong and gross. <laughs> so kind of, it kind of felt like that. It was, it was a good relationship, but it just felt awkward and just, just not quite right. And I kept going to the Lord in prayer over and over and over <laughs> again and kept getting the, the only answer I got was that you're in the right place for right now. And it was a choice. It was a choice that I made and I married him and with all of the, you know, you, when you're young and you have all these expectations and we're going to go get married in the temple and everything's going to be wonderful. And we live happily ever after. And somehow the beautiful temple covenants don't change you <laughs> you you have to change you right. and so it, it can would, help guide you but yes you so have to do was, the work yeah yeah I was expecting because I was quote unquote doing the right thing in my mind that once we were married in the temple it would all be butterflies and and music and mm -hmm. that wasn't the case however I, I did it. Well, I was there. We were committed. And so it was trying to learn how to break the walls around my heart, how to be accepting, how to love in the proper way a husband and wife are supposed to love each other. And what does that even look like? I came from a broken home. 
So I was trying to navigate what that even meant. So it was, I was, it was an interesting time for sure. And did it feel like the right place at that time for the 27 years, meaning like through prayer, meaning like not, not you necessarily, but like in your prayerfulness, like, did you kind of keep getting that answer until you didn't? Yes. Yes. I, I continually got the answer. I'm in the right place for right now. Mm -hmm. And I, and that was frustrating because I could never get the eternal feeling. Yeah. It was a, I'm here for a purpose we're here to grow and learn from each other. And so then it was about, okay, all right, let's, let's do this. Then let's love yeah. each other. Let's, let's work on life. Let's grow up. And, and we did that. Yeah. That, it sounds like you learned a lot about your ability to do that in not ideal situation. And sure. um, I, you know, I felt a lot of that in my second marriage. Um, where, you know, I couldn't get the glimpse of eternity, even though we did actually get sealed in the temple. I didn't, I, I didn't picture a future like I, but I, I knew it was right for then at, for that time. And we were married a year and a half and that, I, I think it was the right amount of time. Um, interestingly enough, during that year that we were married, our kids were exactly double each other's ages like almost kind of like lined up perfectly. I mean, the only time in their lives that would ever happen. And that's right. when we were all together. Interesting. Um, but I remember once I firmly decided, cause I, I kind of vacillated for a couple of months, but I'd gotten a very clear answer that this, this cannot continue. Um, and then once I really, once I got on board with that and then, you know, and then he got on board with that, everything calmed down. Yeah. And so it was kind of almost kind of reverse of what you did, where it's like, we made the decision, everything calmed down. And then there was this part of me that questioned like, oh, well, maybe we just need to like, pretend we're getting divorced and then everything's good. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have since learned, I think that it's very, very important to keep belonging to ourselves, to, to keep growing mm -hmm. and learning and being an individual in a marriage like that's something that I think um, Jeff and I have figured out a good relationship is like um, and we're a lot less codependent than we ever have been in previous relationships so it is a bonus for <laughs> finding love in later years because you already are established as a, a human back in my 20s well I got married at 19 I didn't know who I was I had an idea, but really I was what everybody needed me to be. And then when I was left by myself, I had this impending confusion, doom, depression, anxiety. Who am I? And, and now in my forties, I'm just, it, I'm very clear who I am and John is who he is. And we come together Oh gosh, Shel Silverstein. <laughs> Have you read his book, The Big O Me Meets the Missing Piece? I don't no, think I haven't, so. I haven't no. read that one. Okay. So for your <laughs> listeners and you guys, I've got to watch this. It's you can watch it on YouTube, read the whole book in five minutes. It's a children's illustration. However, it's the best dating book. And you can do all of these things to try and fit together. But in the end, you have two individuals that are whole already. And you roll together. You just are together because that's what you like. It's a choice. It's not that you're trying to 
gain any like I'm I'm lost without you and and who am I without you it's no it's I am who I am you are who you are and we love being together we're a better version of ourselves together but we yeah, that the phrase uh, you complete me is one of my pet peeves yeah uh, because yeah. Kathy does not complete me I mean I love her and we're we're together but uh you know I was complete before I married her and vice versa Yes. And I think that is the, oh my goodness, if the, our young people could understand that, yeah. <laughs> be whole before you get married. What uh, is, um, sorry, what's the name of that? Just so our viewers can look it up. The missing piece meets the big O, or it might be the big O meets the missing piece when one of those two. Okay. And, um, and you said we can just look it up online. Uh-huh. For okay. sure. I, I want to, go back to something you said a minute ago um because it reminds me uh kathy mentioned having a brief second marriage i also did and i woke up every morning during most of the last part of that brief marriage feeling like i was living somebody else's life mm. and yeah. you know i I could get into circumstances that I think might have, you know, encouraged me to feel that way, but I don't want to, I, I want to keep uh, those things private for, out of respect for my former wife. Mm -hmm. But I really, I mean, e even more than the things that were going on, which were considerable, um, I felt like this wasn't my life. This wasn't where I was supposed to be. It wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to put my finger on that. Uh, um, but I, I do kind of understand that. And I, I used to be bothered when people said things like that. <laughs> um, well, if they knew the circumstances of that marriage, they would understand. But beyond the circumstances, I think I was being told as well. Yeah, it's so interesting because you don't, you really, nobody knows except for you and your partner. It's like, you, we've all had those genes that you grew out of, but you keep trying to stuff yourself in them and you're so uncomfortable and you have to suck everything in and to, to get that button and you're walking around and you know you're gonna burst at any time and it's just not right. There's no room to breathe. And then you finally get the pair of jeans that fit you properly and life is so much easier. Right. I feel like it's, I, I absolutely agree. There, were, there was nothing wrong, so to say, with, my ex's family but i just felt so out of place and uncomfortable and there's there's no reason for it except for just that it is what it is and now we both are in places where we can breathe we can be completely be ourselves and it's just it's just so nice i wish i hadn't fought against it for so many years you had to be good and to okay so here's another another thing a pet peeve of mine is the fact that divorce means your marriage failed because i i fought and fought to keep my marriage together because i didn't want to be a statistic i didn't want to fail i you know i was 
overachiever and, and wanted those straight A's and all of those things. I didn't want to be that person that failed. And now I see so clearly that staying in a place that isn't right is failure. Holding, hold, staying with somebody who it's clearly you're both holding each other back from becoming or ex expressing the person you truly are meant to be, that's failure, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, and I, I related to what you said earlier, dating in my 40s was way easier than dating in my 20s. I bet. In, yeah. in my 20s, you know, if I was, if I was uh, ever turned down, um, oh my gosh, all I could do is look at the wall for like three or four hours and just feel this horrified feeling that, you know, I had been rejected and What's what was wrong, wrong with, with me. me. <laughs> yeah. And, and in my 40s, it was kind of like, okay, thanks for letting me know. Next, you know. Right. Um, yeah. Because I was much more comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. And my approach in my 40s was, let's go out and be myself and get to know interesting people. And I kind of like Jody Moore says, I'm not for everybody. Yeah. Uh, but I am for somebody. And so, you know, figuring out who I didn't fit with was part of figuring out who I did fit with. Yeah. And that's, that's something that's so internal. We, it goes back to trying to, to be whole yourself before you search for somebody to complete you. When we're constantly looking outside of ourselves to feel good and to fit and to belong, it's, it's backwards. Rather, we, we need to feel confident and good about ourselves. And then when we don't fit somewhere, we say, oh, so glad we figured this out now. Thanks. Good luck to you. And we're on to the next. Right. Amanda, I think you could be tempted to think, okay, for 27 years, I was staying and that was failure. But it sounds like because you were prayerful and the answer was you're in the right place for now and you, you honored that until the answer changed, you know, then you don't have regrets. Absolutely. There, I, there, I don't feel like any part was a failure. Now I failed with my own, you, you know, we all fail at different places and we learn from it. Like, oh, that didn't work at all. Let's re regroup and figure out something better, a better way to show up. So of course we made mistakes, but none of it was a failure. Yeah, that's great. And I, I think that's, a good place to get to as part of your healing is to recognize all the ways in which we could see it as failure was actually a learning experience and we grew from it so it's there's no failure there yes what was it for and even if you were the one that was blindsided even if you had to get out of your marriage for safety reasons or for maybe it was disastrous and so you you made the choice or they made the choice and now you're left alone hanging on to the story of failure or, or any negative story is just never going to be helpful moving forward. Mm -hmm. Understanding the subconscious mind, you, you know, you, you're just setting yourself up for failure if yeah. with that mindset. And in that situation, I think it's more helpful if you see it as I love myself and my future enough to take myself out of harm's way. Absolutely. I mean, that's empowering. Yeah. And even if there was no harm, even if it's just a simple choice, 
you or, or your ex, somebody decided to make the choice, this is not right for me and I'm making another choice, coming to peace with that and recognizing that we, we don't have to be married. We don't have to be married at all. We don't have to do anything. I, I felt when I was 16 to 19, I felt very much like I had to do certain things. I couldn't be with the person I was really in love with because I had to do all of these things to please my family, to please my ward family, to please my friends, to please my God. And, and then I was left in the shadows. Well, but what, what about me? When do I get to do what I want to do? And so then you end up having this rebellious spirit fighting, fighting against what you thought you should do in the first place, but you didn't want to. And so now you've got all this cognitive dissonance and guess how you show up? Not very loving. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so let's go back to that, that part of your story for a minute. Um, you know, you talked about having had all these different forces pulling against what you really wanted to do. And, and what do you think, what meaning do you take from that now? Let's see. Well, um, what I learned was that I, I need to understand me. Ruthie needs to know Ruthie and what's best. And I decide that with God. And this, I, I say all this whole graduation and uh, from my previous marriage and all of these things, I say it so easily. However, in the moment in that, that about a month when I had made the decision to the time when I let him know, it was so hard because I knew how I would be judged. And I went backwards in time and I felt my brain showing up as a 17 year old, knowing that everybody's going to think I'm crazy. And the difference was it wasn't that child anymore. I was sure of myself, I was sure of my footing. And if nobody else understood me, I knew that God understood me. And I knew that I was doing the very best thing for me. And I actually knew that I had the best intentions for my ex in mind as well and my children. So, and I did, you guys, when I left, everybody was blindsided. I worked with my husband. So the whole office was like, what? You guys are the cutest couple. You're so fun. What happened? And, um, my family members, I had church members were like, honey, you're going through a midlife crisis. <laughs> and um, my reply was, no, this is a midlife awakening. I'm, I'm unwilling to live a life that everybody else wants me to live now. Like I did when I was in my teens and in my twenties, I am now in my forties and ready to live the life that I need. And I know what is right for me with the blessings of God. You know, um, that actually is still along the lines of something I, I wanted to observe in this whole thing. Um, that, you know, I would encourage anyone we work with as life coaches, anybody listening to this podcast, anybody that we, you know, write articles for and do podcasts for and all that, um, 
to be a chooser. And, and that is the opposite of being a victim. It's the opposite of cognitive dissonance, like you said. It's being an active, intentional participant in your life. And um, I think being a chooser, and I, you know, that B word is very powerful because that puts us in the present and it puts us in a state of being rather than I'm just, I'm a person who chooses. I am a chooser. Yeah. I am being a chooser. And um, something, one of my friends, like who was having some troubles in her marriage um, and she was giving, getting, giving a lot of advice from people. And she said, you know, ultimately it doesn't really matter what other people say, because I'm the one who has to live in this marriage. I'm the one that will be living with the choices that I make. And I, I've always felt that was so profound. I mean, very simple and straightforward and obvious, but yeah. so profound when you think about it. Um, because if we're going to be a chooser, if, we're, if I am a chooser, um, then I'm recognizing I deal with the consequences of my choices and anybody else who has an opinion, I can, they can weigh, it can weigh in, you know, but ultimately they don't have to live my life. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the empowerment that comes with choosing. And of course, you know, that I'm, I'm hearing <laughs> chatter from, from what people will hear and think now making choices doesn't mean you need to be a brat. <laughs> right. And it, especially when other people are involved, we absolutely want to do it with kindness and empathy and grace and timing, timing, questioning, is, is this right? Yes, this is what I, what is it that you want? Why is it that I want that? Why, what am I moving towards? And there's so many questions to ask besides just this doesn't feel good. I want to get out because our brains are always going to run away from pain. So it's a good idea to ask yourself, why is it that I'm feeling this? Am I just trying to run away from the hard conversations or from the, you know, the, he won't pick his socks off the floor, <laughs> you know, sil silly things. And I think most of us fight over silly things. So just, just pointing out right there that the, the choice there are the, consequences to those choices. So, and then the why behind your choice is what helps you to, to keep true to your choice. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, there's two things we wrote about an intentional courtship along the, these lines, at least two. One is um, involves like when people start dating after divorce. And I know your, your second marriage was relatively quick. Uh, on the heels of your divorce. Well, we hear a lot of people say, you, you gotta have a year after your divorce is final, or you gotta have one month for every year that you were married, you know, or there's various formulas people throw around. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, that I wrote in intentional courtship is you decide when you're ready to date again. Uh, Amen. <laughs> you know, because you'll hear all sorts of armchair psychologists giving you all sorts of formulas, but they don't know what's going on inside you. They don't know what your needs and desires are and what your, you know, your sense of purpose is. So, and, and then again, and, and then two grieving, I think, you know, it's, I, I wasn't there in your former marriage, but it may be that you had done a lot of the grieving 
before you ever even filed for divorce. Yeah. So I think really in some ways, picking a moment in time, you know, for when your divorce becomes officially final is kind of arbitrary, really, because people are at various stages of the grieving process <laughs> when that event happens. And it's legally a fact, but it's not everything. And it's not, everything. yeah, it's not yes. necessarily mirroring exactly what your emotions are at a given time. Absolutely. I think dating, remarrying, all getting a job, what college, so many of our big life choices are individual and nobody has to live your life, but you. So like your friend said, that's your, nobody has to live my life. So isn't it a good idea to make sure that you do what's right for you and that there is no cookie cutter. You can listen to ideas and um, I guess question your thoughts because now if you want to jump right into something, are, are you running away from something? Are you too afraid of being alone? There, what, is, what does it mean that you're reaching out so quickly? Or are you genuinely healed and ready to move on? Nobody knows that but you. Right. And, you know, I, I'm just kind of going back to this why, because I think that could be so helpful for a lot of listeners. Um, because I, you're right. I mean, no matter whether it's your choice or someone else's, if you're feeling rejected or you're doing the leaving, if there was love in the relationship, whether it be a marriage or even a dating relationship, there's going to be pain involved in a lot in that loss and that pain. And also, especially the fear of the unknown Mm -hmm. is what can keep us stuck for a really long time. And so I think your suggestion to know your why and have a vision of your future, if you make this choice, that is, you know, powerful and good, then it can kind of help us with the pain and the fear of the unknown as those things come up like, okay, no, but I have a why I have a why. And, and I've also have an answer from the divine too. And that's the other thing I wanted to point out is that with your prayerfulness, um, you know, we're, we're taught and, and we're of the same religion, like you said, the ward, <laughs> um, and no matter what religion you are, whatever um, whatever congregation you belong to, or whatever your leadership is, I you know we I think we most most of us believe in the spirit. Um, for us, we call it the Holy Ghost, um, but it's basically our own guidance system through life. It's our own spiritual connection to the divine. And why would we have that if there were cookie cutter? Uh, Right. If there, if everything was just, if we could just be given the commandments and we all just abide by them, then we wouldn't need that. Um, and so the fact that we have the spirit means that our lives are not all going to look the same. Our answers are not all going to be the same. Yeah. Now we don't talk to young single adults very often, but I want to shout out to any of them that are listening or, or parents of young parents ones. can pass along <laughs> whether your roommates think the person you're dating is cool enough is not going to matter one tenth of one percent once you're married amen <laughs> <laughs> 
you're not going to bring your roommates home with you. You're That's going right. to live with your spouse the rest no, of I your life. Think, um, family support can matter quite a yes. bit. Um, yes. But they're still not there every day, day in, day out in your home. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. your life that you're making that choice. Yeah, I, I like what you said about what, why would we have the spirit there unless we're <laughs> going to use it. And that even if people aren't religious at all, we still have Jiminy Cricket. We have our intuition. We have our gut instinct and we have our subconscious mind. We've got all these parts and pieces of us that, that we have conversations with in our head. There's a reason for that. Right. Well, and, and that's actually a great segue into uh, the next part of our conversation, which we want to. Let me into. ask one more thing. One more thing before we segue. <laughs> okay. Sure. Um, because I think our our listeners and viewers might be interested. So, how long did you date your current husband in high school when you were back in high school or whatever? Uh, and how did that go? How did it end? We were on and off for three years, okay. and. Oh gosh, I'm trying to think of what what I can say that wouldn't be upsetting to any people in the past. Um, I I was the first one that left thinking that I would go and marry this return missionary in Arizona. And when I realized very quickly (laughs) that I was still in love with John, I came back. And then we were, everything was beautiful and perfect. I thought, (laughs) and then um, the woman who ended up being his wife for a couple decades came and took him away from me. Okay. Wow. Okay. (laughs) All right. So coming back into our marriage now, there was, it seems like it was so much easier for us on a comfort level because we already knew each other. We've said so many times, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I didn't have to worry about dating. I've like, I already, I have the familiar familiarity with your lips, with your, uh, so many, much of us was still the same in conversations and the, our attitudes and things like that. However, we fell and this moves into our subconscious piece. We fell into a number of times showing up as teenagers because that's where we had our own trauma that's where your connection was initially yes huh. yes sometimes so the triggers like you had triggers maybe that kind of sent you back and yeah. you got to work through a whole new set of things of course so all of the things that were left undone when we were in high school and after high school oh we got the opportunity to heal those as adults and even you know with all of the training and everything I've learned I could feel myself show up as a 16 year old girl hurt and crying and wanting to stamp my feet and and feel bad about myself again and then I would (laughs) come forward and be like no I'm 47 (laughs) (laughs) let's calm down let's think through this properly and it's been a beautiful process but one thing that I, I tell people to watch for when you, when you want to know if something is at a subconscious level, when you're being high, that amygdala hijack, they call it sometimes, is you watch for when you feel like a child or when your spouse is acting like a child. When you see that a grown adult 
is acting like an 11 year old or three year old or somewhere, you know, in between, you know that there's some kind of past trauma that happened that became a trigger that you hold in your body now. And right. when somebody pokes that trigger, out pops hmm. the four year old. Right. And you, it's like you have no control over it and you kind of don't because it's subconscious. You have that subconscious programming coming out of your mouth. And then afterwards, you're like, who was that? <laughs> you're like, I had no you know, control. And let's just be honest. We all do this. Yes. We do. <laughs> and and I, I would dare say also that um, the, some, are, some of us are obviously more aware of it than others. Sometimes we just think, oh, well, this is no, I'm an adult. Of course I'm an adult. I'm in an adult body. I, I right. am this age. Um, but I, I would dare say that we, we have different triggers when we're single versus when we're married. And this is why I think we learn differently when we're single versus when we're married. And I, it's not, you know, better or worse. It's just different. Right. And sometimes we need those lessons as a single person and those tri different triggers in order to yeah. learn and grow the way we need to. Um, and I think a lot of our mid singles can relate to that because they're now in a different situation than they were before married. Right. Um, and then for those of us who have remarried or are still married or whatever, like, especially if you remarry, then you realize, oh, I get to have a whole new set of triggers with this new person too, mm -hmm. because we trigger each other different than my previous spouse did even. And it's almost right. kind of like this layering of onions, like all this healing that can happen in our lives is, um, comes diff about differently in different circumstances. Yes. I call it opportunity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we can choose to work on ourselves we can choose to take a good strong look at at what parts we want to shift correct heal the stories we want to let go and if we don't life will give us opportunities to pull open those triggers and force us to see them yes and i love that you call it an opportunity because something that i came into my awareness i believe it was in um, carol tuttle's remembering wholeness Mm. Um, where she says, if something comes up, um, if when you're feeling triggered, it might not feel good, but it actually means that whatever is coming up is ready to heal. And I really yeah. believe that I've adopted that and it helps make it a little more palatable, a little bit more tolerable. <laughs> yeah, it does. And even if it doesn't happen exactly in the moment, but as you as you and you've been working on this for quite a while so it's almost a little bit exciting this seems <laughs> sadistic to say that but sometimes I, I get a little bit excited when I pull up a trigger and I feel that old anxiety or I feel the depression or I feel the whatever and then I was like oh oh yay I'm releasing an old part of me that didn't need to be there. Thank you for coming to my attention so that I can shift and grow and release and let it go and, and correct it. I love that. You know, and when you see it as an opportunity and a time to heal and release what isn't you, yeah. um, then all of a sudden you're, instead of thinking, oh, I, I'm questioning this marriage altogether, you're actually thinking. <laughs> the marriage for showing yes. up to give you that, that release. 
Yeah. Or that opportunity. Now, warning, (laughs) it's a great idea to see the opportunity in your own triggers and be willing to work on them. However, you're also going to be very keenly aware of all of your spouse's triggers. And it's not a good idea to say, oh, look, you have this great opportunity to get rid of those old programming. This is annoying. (laughs) Yeah, you, you, um, awareness is great. And then you should and let them work through it on their own timetable. Well, that, and then don't, don't push the buttons off. Like, uh, in fact, we want to be sensitive to each other's triggers. I think that can actually help soften them and help us release them better when, when, you know, we're being a, you know, a teenager instead of an adult and someone shows up and loves us instead of chastising us for being immature. Yeah. And that's, oh my gosh, I'm glad you (laughs) touched on that because most likely that child or teenager or whoever, whatever, where that trauma was, you didn't get what you needed in that moment. So to have somebody say, I see you and I love you. If you're acting 40 or 12, I'm still here and go ahead and get that out. <laughs> I well, love that's, that. that's real unconditional love. What yeah, did you say? Sorry. We don't, we, with boundaries now, because sometimes people will blow, the triggers come and they're uncomfortable and anger comes because anger is always, you know, the, the armor for the fear underneath. So recognizing that, but sometimes people that aren't healed will lash out and it is okay to have boundaries. Sure. You know, another Carol Tuttle quote, uh, Kathy just quoted her a minute ago. She says that we find the person who pushes our buttons more than anybody else, and then we marry them. Yeah. <laughs> and, Amen. And, you know, I, I did a lot of personal development work, as Kathy did while, while we were single. And yet, I, I think I thought I was more healed than I really was because I didn't have my former wife around to push my buttons, you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, it was just me and my son. And, uh, and so I, you know, when we got married again to each other, I was a little surprised, I think, to see that, oh, I still have some unhealed stuff to take care of. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Even though, I mean, I don't think Kathy was perf, you know, uh, purposely pressing my buttons, but, uh, but nonetheless, they'll be discovered sooner or later. Sometimes I think that's part of what marriage is for. I think so too. Absolutely. We're, you know, partnership, we're here to help each other. And, and that's that, that um, it's the vulnerability to be completely naked, not just without your clothing, but without your, your shields, your faces, your, um, what are those masks? You take the masks down when you're in a marriage that you can be completely vulnerable with. And guess what? all the ugly comes out and you get opportunity to heal. But let me ask you about a specific piece of trauma, if you don't mind. Sure. Now you're the, the woman that you're, that your current husband uh, married came and took him away from you. And that was the last time you broke up as I understand it. Yes. Okay. And 
did that create any trauma that you had to work through getting back together later that you picked somebody else instead of me? Oh, absolutely. That was, <laughs> that had to be a conversation. And that was a conversation for both of us. And luckily we're <laughs> mature now. And it was, it, it was a very simple conversation of why didn't you, because I was young, one moment. Hold on. I'm sorry. Hold on. Okay, for editing. <laughs> we are back. All right. So um, you were you were talking about the trauma that you had and conversations yes. you needed to have about you picked someone else and we were both married for two decades as a result. And, you know, so tell, tell us about how you worked through that. Um, it was with heartfelt conversations and tears. I'm not going to lie. There were, and there's my cat's butt. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, there were definitely plenty of nights where that sad little 18, 19 year old that, oh my gosh. Okay. So you guys, one of my most embarrassing moments is remembering when he said goodbye and he was leaving and we were on in the driveway. I lived on a busy road. Cars went by all the time. And we're at the end of my driveway waiting for him to leave. And I literally fell to my knees, arms around his legs, crying, sobbing, please don't go. <laughs> like a movie scene. I'm so, <laughs> so just addicted to this man and um and he left and and that never quite healed and so to bring that up and and to be able for both of us to say i'm so sorry i didn't know how i just didn't know how to react i didn't know how to do the things i didn't know how to love you properly i didn't know how to have faith in us all of those things and um and then we just forgive hmm. just that's, as that's easy beautiful path. and hardly anyone in this life gets the opportunity to go back to that age yeah that's really unique yeah it's true and we did like years and years and years and years ago i did i worked with a therapist i've seen a number of therapists and i did have the opportunity to forgive even though I cog now here's another interesting conscious subconscious in my conscious mind I completely forgived him and I that forgave there you <laughs> I forgave go him. I forgave him and I forgave myself because I knew that well he was it was just it was my karma. That's the story I told myself. It was my own fault. I didn't have faith in us. And so then he left me and it wasn't, it wasn't anybody's fault. It just is what it is. And so cognitively, I forgave him completely. Subconsciously, that little girl was still hurt and devastated. So it was beautiful to be able to in person open that up and truly heal it and forgive and let go. And we got the opportunity to start over. Now I've been able to work with clients 
in that same realm and get the same healing, subconscious healing, even though they didn't, that they're not even with the person, the person will never be in their life again, but you still can go through the motions. That's where I say it's so fun. Hypnosis is like, gives you the opportunity to time travel. You cannot change circumstances in your life, but you can absolutely go back in time and change the feelings, the emotion attached to the circumstance. And it shifts, gives this whole huge paradigm shift, domino effect all the way up into your current life where you can have peace around whatever trauma it was. You know what? I really appreciate this cognitive versus subconscious forgiving and letting go because we talk all the time about how we might think we've forgiven someone and then we're triggered and we pick up that rock again that we'd put down a long time ago and it's an opportunity to put it back down. But I think what you're ultimately saying is it's a chance to heal another subconscious layer Mm -hmm. where our cognitive you know, function has done it. Now it's an opportunity to go deeper into the subconscious and do it again. Yes, exactly. Completely. Cause it's oh. like, it's like we maybe not all of us, but I have definitely hid candy. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to be healthy and I don't want my children to have candy. And so I'm going to get rid of all of it, except for these couple little things I'm going to hide up in the cabinet. And I may even forget about them, but they're, they're there still. And then when, and then I pull them out when I'm at my weakest moment. And it's the same thing we do with our subconscious mind. We hold on to pieces of things. And when we think we're totally fine, it's going to hit you always at the wrong moment when you're ready to give a speech or you're teaching a class or you're on a date with somebody that you actually really like. And then this one piece you've been holding on to just shows its ugly face. So it's so important to just to be free, truly free of all of those things. So if you were working with someone who had your story, um, how could you help them to overcome like that moment when you've got your arms around his legs and he walks off? Well, there, there are a few different ways that we can do it. There's, there are short methods where you can just literally take a, a future picture of how you want to be. You see, see, feel, and you take that image and you place it over the old painful image. And there's a little bit of back and forth until the old one just drops off because our brain like you're doing it over. Yes. It's like our brain is a computer. It's we have movie screens and and it's just, it's just updating the data. We're deleting and updating with better, better data. So so that's the quick version. Okay. Some people may need to do age regression therapy where you literally get into a hypnotic state. You pull up that that piece of you this is a whole other thing but there's you know people say they feel so broken we are never we cannot be broken our spirits are invincible we can't break them but we can splinter like um ann washburn i love the way she put this it's like a mirror breaks it's still usable you can still see in all those pieces of the mirror but they're separated now 
And when you have a traumatic moment or you do something, something happens to you that doesn't align with your core or what you believe your core is, you push that side out, you reject it. So there may be a three-year-old that had a tantrum and she got in huge amount of trouble or something happened to her. Maybe somebody touched her and that, you know, isn't right. And so you push her out. And so now you have this little tiny voice that never gets to grow up in your head. And, and that becomes by the time you're in your forties, if you don't release and know how to take care of it, you have all of these voices crowding you up because you have all of these pieces of you that are splintered off and rejected and you feel broken. So you go in and you find that one piece, one piece at a time, you heal it and then you bring it back in. Integration is what we call it. Mm -hmm. And when you integrate that piece of you that's been rejected for so many years, it's so unimaginably healing and connecting and energizing all, all the good feels. Huh, that's awesome. So this deep hypnotic state is the like the longer way. And um, you said that you were going to maybe teach us some self hypnosis. Um, okay. But really quickly, I just wanted to check on the quick version, the sure. old image replacement. Um, so, for instance, mm -hmm. I mean, I have this idea in my mind, this is my, has been my story for a long time, that my first husband left me that he chose out. And even though there's some truth to that, if I were to go back and do it now and knowing what I know now, I would say I would have been more empowered to, to be a chooser rather than a victim of that choice. Okay. And so I guess what you're saying would be is I would maybe imagine maybe a time when I felt completely abandoned Mm -hmm. and instead show up in my power and say, I am choosing this too, or I am yeah. choosing. Yeah. Very similar to that. And it's, okay. there's a lot of visualization that goes on because in your brain, you want to pull up the exact moment memory where the biggest emotion is. Yeah. Where I can think of a few. Yourself. You see yourself in that pain. I'm a victim and you hold that. And then you move forward and you say, I'm not a victim. So you've got this cognitive dissonance going on. You've got, I felt like this and then, but now I know better. And this is how I feel. This is how I see myself. I see myself strong. And then, and then you, <laughs> uh, it's, it's could be tricky for the listeners the people that can't visualize, but um, you have, you literally will take that lens and put it on top of the other one until what you see more clearly and bright and true is the fact that, oh, you were a chooser all along. Hmm. You chose, you chose this life. You chose that marriage. You chose to be in a marriage with a man who would end it. Hmm. <laughs> I see what you're saying. So you're finding the truth in that the empowered way of being yeah. rather than yeah. trying to to shift it to like, just mean I did something different than I actually did, right. but that I was more of a chooser and an active participant than I realized. Exactly. So you find the lie and the lie is that you were a victim. 
Mm-hmm. You were, you were never a victim. Yeah. And, and then you replace it with the truth, but visualizing it and seeing yourself in it. And the most important thing when you're working with the subconscious mind is focusing on the feeling, the emotion. That's where it all, because anything else, and I believe you, you guys have a very similar, um, oh, what is it? There's a model. You've got oh, the FCBO model. Yes, the FCBO yes. model. So the, the circumstance line is neutral. It always, the facts are always neutral. Right. Mm-hmm. They only mean something when we place an emotion on it. Yeah. So it's, it's figuring out where the painful emotion was, removing that. So it's just data again, and then replacing it with an empowering emotion. So kind of, so going back from your story to the facts and replacing the story. Yes. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you see men in black? Yes. Do, do you remember when they would use that little memory stick to oh, erase people's memories? And yeah, the, <laughs> the, Will Smith is telling the, the woman uh, that <laughs> your husband left you. No, in fact, you kicked him out. <laughs> and, uh-huh. uh, yeah. She's, he's making her okay with the fact that her husband's just been killed by space aliens. Right, right. <laughs> it's, you know, it is really, it's fun. <laughs> and interesting what we can do with the mind and sometimes I will I will say this because for for instance in my particular worst memory that when I'm on my knees and sobbing and whatever and it's so embarrassing right I didn't change I can't change that I fell on my knees and cried and begged him to not leave what I could do is let go of the embarrassment and instead give myself compassion for that little girl that just didn't even know any better. And if, right. had, if had she known, if I could whisper in her ear, it's all going to be okay. We're going to live the best years of our lives together. Just be faithful and patient and throw in forgiveness. And there's always, always, always every good hypnotherapist is going to wrap in forgiveness. Forgiveness for the perpetrator and also forgiveness for you for not knowing how to deal with it, show up in a better way at that time. Yeah, Um, that makes sense. Let me ask another question about hypnotherapy because I think some of our audience members may be inclined to think it's a little woo woo. Mm -hmm. Um, I did. (laughs) I'm not so sure about this with the gospel and you know, so maybe yeah. you could address that whole subject. And I have to say, every time I've talked to you, it's been so refreshing because it doesn't feel weird at all to me. It really like, isn't weird. And I totally thought it was weird too. I would pass this one little house-like shop kind of thing that said hypnosis and some of the things that you could get rid of with hypnosis. And it always felt like there should have been one of those hands with an eye, like a psychic lives there. <laughs> and that's how it felt to me. And I was right. always curious, but never brave enough to try because I didn't, I didn't want somebody in my head. I didn't want mm. somebody to take over and mess me up or whatever. And hypnosis is just such a natural state of being. We are in hypnosis every morning when we wake up those twilight hours, right before we drift off to sleep. Every time you almost, well, most people while you're watching TV, 
programming is called programming because it's literally programming you while you're sitting there in a relaxed hypnotic state. When you're daydreaming, when your teacher is so boring and droning on and on and you start looking out the window and going somewhere else in your mind and somebody's like, hello, you're in a hypnotic state. It's a very natural state of being. Um, it's just where you are most suggestive. So absolutely when working with a hypnotherapist, you want to have the trust factor. And in fact, you need the trust factor or you're going to block it. We have this reticular activating system. We, our brain's bouncer is so good at knocking things out that it thinks doesn't belong in your subconscious mind. So having trust is, is paramount. Um, and that's why I like to teach self-hypnosis because there are so many people like me that have trust issues and they don't want somebody in their head messing around. So learning how to do it yourself is so valuable. However, saying that I still will use a hypnotherapist myself when I, when I get into something where I'm so close to it, I just, uh, I'm not seeing it. Yeah, that well, makes sense. So tell us a little about self-hypnosis. Yeah, we'd love to learn more. So all, fun fact, all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. A hypnotherapist is nothing more than a guide to move you through your own self-hypnosis. Nobody can put you into a state of a hypnotic state without your permission. You will just block it out. You'll, you'll put up the walls. Um, so allowing yourself to relax and get into a space where you're suggestible and you guys use affirmations, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. They say okay. that use it's like 10,000 times, a thousand or 10,000 times, some huge number of saying the affirmation over and over and over again to get it into your subconscious mind, to really believe it and manifest it. Now, in a hypnotic state and also using music, music will move through that filter. So there are a number of tricks that you can use one, I'll just give to your listeners, using music when you're using affirmations. It's also why they say do them first thing in the morning and right before bed, because that's when we're naturally in a more suggestible hypnotic state. So for things that you want to put in, use music, use calm voices with yourself, loving tones with yourself. You're going to love yourself. That's not going to work. <laughs> but, so being in a relaxed state, starting with some breathing into your diaphragm, we have the vagal nerve that runs all the way down the spine and that triggers your parasympathetic state, that rest and digest. That's the state you want to be in to be suggestible. So if you're wanting to use self-hypnosis, you're on do something all on your own. You can, there are a gajillion. You can look at some of my um, guided meditations or use one of the gajillions else on, on YouTube, or you can purchase them. You get into this deep, lower abdomen breathing to get into a calm state. And then you just open. It's like, it's your learning. It's that, you know, how you feel when you're in front of somebody that you're not sure about 
Okay, how about this? Somebody's coming over and they're so excited to show you this plan and you just have to have three friends that you can bring over with you and you're gonna make a million dollars. How open is your mind to them? Not very. You've got walls up. So not a hypnotic state. You're fully focused in your cognitive brain because you don't want the wool pulled over your eyes. Opposite to that, when you're with somebody you're very comfortable with that you love you're having a conversation you're looking into each other's eyes and you're just i love you and then you start saying all of the beautiful things i love the way you do this it's so amazing that you're so calm and patient and i love the way just morning comes and you wake up refreshed and so excited for the day love waking up with you so that that type you're you feel the walls melt around you and you're just letting them ride in and that that wall you feel like i feel like it's a window being rolled down in my brain that's your critical factor filter or reticular activating system it's the brain's bouncer soften that and that's how you get more things implanted. That's also the space you need to be in to pull out the, the negative stories that you no longer need. So have you ever thought, okay, yeah, I know that was a problem and I want to let it go, but then you come back to it and it's still there and it's still there and it's still there because the seed is down so far into your subconscious mind, getting yourself into a relaxed state where you can let go of the motion, almost kind of like you're floating above your body. We do timeline therapy, which is literally where you imagine your timeline of your life from the past to the future, and then you hover float above it. And then you can look at the circumstance from a third party view, only it's yourself, without any emotion. Oh, like, uh... In the Christmas Carol. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So then you can see it clearly as if you're your own therapist and you, with great love and respect, like, oh, my sweet self, that was, that's just not helpful. Let's let go of that. And so you do. You know, sometimes I um, actually record guided meditations for my, my coaching clients specific uh -huh. to, to whatever they're dealing with. He did um, that for me when we were dating. I loved it. Aw, that's so sweet. <laughs> um, but you're literally saying, I think, that I could take my trusty cell phone and record a guided meditation on it for myself and put my and then meditate to it and deal with work on releasing trauma. Yes, absolutely. Be my own hypnotherapist yeah. in a way. Yes. Now, when you're writing scripts, because a lot of hypnosis um, therapists will use scripts, and that's totally fine as long as you're, um, as long as you understand the language and pairing with words so that you're going to get the right thing in there. And I'll give you a story. Uh, of my my teacher worked with a woman. Came in. She was she was so frustrated because she was trying to lose weight and she was using affirmations. I'm using affirmations. I've been using them for years. And my, I just keep it getting bigger and bigger. And he said, well, what exactly? And she was 
very pear-shaped. So like a size eight on top, 16 on the bottom. Oh, wow. And um, he said, well, what is your affirmation? She says, well, in every day and every way, my weight is going down, down, down. <laughs> and it literally did our brains are like Amelia and Julia. they're so literal and so sometimes it's helpful to work with a professional that can look at what you want I I'll do suggestive therapy with people together so it's exactly what they want but I'm reading through it and saying let's shift this word Let's put, put things in the present and the positive. And so there's a lot of tricks to the trade to make a good track for yourself. My, uh, my experience with affirmations is that they, they can be helpful, but I, I think you have to be careful to make sure that it's going, that your mind is going to be able to plausibly believe it. Uh, yes. Because if, if your brain instantly reacts, that's bullshit or whatever. <laughs> Um, you know, even though you keep saying it to yourself, you're just creating more resistance. At least that's how it feels to me. Absolutely. And that's why, um, yeah, we're, we learn in, in my courses, we go a long time on language. So if you're looking in the mirror and one of my exercises that I give my students is to look in the mirror, look at yourself in the eyes. I see you. I love you. You're more than enough. Well, if you're looking at yourself and you feel like you're lying, then lying isn't good. Lying is bad. Nobody wants to be bad. So now you're looking at yourself, you're feeling bad. And so instead you can say, I'm learning to love myself. I want to love you. I'm learning more every day how to love you. So you take easy baby steps into what you eventually want. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's exactly what I, I, uh, we talk about in coaching with when I, I'm, I'm working with clients is that if you don't believe it, let's figure out what you do believe that gets you in that direction. Yeah. And then yeah. the other thing I, I like to say is we tell ourselves lies all the time and then believe it because we've said it often enough. So I think we do have to kind of like go in that direction and, um, and then eventually we start believing whatever we tell ourselves and if we can do that intentionally then you know we're in a better place than when we're just telling ourselves lies that are random and not helpful yes and i love what you said right there because so many people talk about the the programming the terrible blah 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 stuck in my subconscious mind well if we have terrible stuff we can also plant good stuff mm -hmm. and that is the funnest thing when you automatically do something that you've been out affirming for a year and all of a sudden like, oh my gosh I didn't even think of that that was automatic in a positive way yeah. and so and we can do that it's just understanding the laws of the mind and using them to help you instead of hold you back I love that yes thank so, you so to wrap up um I, can you finish your story for us kind of like how did you and your John, I think is his name. Yeah, uh, John. How did you and John find each other again? And then how did that develop? To Okay, so for my birthday, I went to North Carolina with my, my stepsister. We were best friends and then our parents got married. And I was just feeling so good with life. And 
mentioned how nice it is to not have anybody in the world that I have ill feelings for, not even Hitler. Like I can literally say, I love everyone. And she's like, well, that's because you have better ex-boyfriends than me. (laughs) (laughs) So that led us to open up Facebook and scroll through. And of course I looked up um, John's ex-wife because we were friends on Facebook, but that's a whole other story, but we were pretty good acquaintances. And I saw somebody tagged him, what? He has his own Facebook? And immediately my sister pointed her finger at me, don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare. And I dared, I, (laughs) when she wasn't looking, I sent him a a quick message on messenger and it wasn't like, I didn't even think that we would get together. I had so let go of that dream, but I, it seemed to me through his post that he was still hurting from his, his divorce. And, and so I was just offering my services. Like I, I'm a pretty darn good hypnotherapist. If you need some some help shifting and letting go of some pain. And he never took me up on it. In fact, he has never been in my chair. (laughs) He loves what I do and he loves that I can help other people. Sometimes it's a good idea to um, get conflict of interest. So, but we started talking and very quickly opened up to, I've never stopped loving you. And it just so happened, he lives in Texas. Well, I live in Texas now too, but when I left, I went to help my niece who in, because of COVID lost her au pair, had to go back home. So she needed a nanny. She's in medical school. So I happened to end up in Texas five hours South of where John lived. And so we were able to quickly start dating and, and didn't need to date very long. (laughs) That's amazing. And and did you feel like, I don't know, I like there was sort of the invisible hand moving and that moving and all of those things? Absolutely. I actually did. I was on another podcast for miracles and throughout the journey of, gosh, not just it, my life, his life, we're both praying <laughs> at the same time. He was just had been praying to God for somebody that he could love and that would love him in return. And Lord, I have so much love. Can you please just give me somebody I can love that love me as much as I love them? Little did he know, here I am (laughs) over on the other side of the country, just having things go into place where I would be right here in Texas and able to reconnect. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely divine. And I, and I thank God every single day for, (laughs) I love my life. I love my life for so many years. I woke up and I didn't even touch on the depression and anxiety that I, that I lived with, but I would wake up and be like, Oh, I'm still alive. And now I wake up and I'm so excited to be alive. And I see my sweet husband and it's like, I can't believe we're, we're together. We're here together. And so I'm just, every day is a praise God moment. 
That's awesome. Yeah. And you know, we relate to that too. Well, and for anyone who's not there yet, I think it gives them hope because uh, I know when we were, you know, in our mid single years and trying to find the right person for us, it sometimes felt like it was taking forever. Yeah. And I know for your, you, it happened pretty quickly, but then a long time within it the marriage. Did. It took so, 27 years. <laughs> exactly. When you look at it as a lifetime, like it happened quickly yeah. after your divorce, but not like quickly in your life. Yeah. And same thing with us. Like it, it took us a long time to find each other, um, both when we were, you know, in other marriages and not available for each other. And then also, uh -huh. even while we were single, I mean, we could have both avoided second marriages if we'd met like during yeah. a, a, the other portion of our mid singles years, but that's not how it went, you know? Right. So it is what it is. And the timing is always perfect. However, it, with that, here's, here's some advice that I will give to your listeners. I, we've had this conversation and very clearly see that there were specific lessons that we needed to learn before we could come together. Yeah. So that being said, the quicker you are able to be completely humble and work on being the best you for the person that you're looking for, you know, we're always looking for that, that list of that perfect guy, that perfect gal that will be perfect for us. To be the list, yeah. To be the list, yes. Be the person that you're looking for so that you're ready for them. But that perfect person might not even give you a glance if you're still in, you know, you, you've got these triggers all over you. Yeah. So let go of it and be ready so that you can speed up that process. Because man, 27 years, it's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I would do it again. I would, I would wait another 27 years if I had to, but I'm so, so grateful I didn't have to. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, I just, I love what you left us with. And I, it's definitely along the same lines of intentional courtship, which is um, first to establish peace and find healing in yourself and wholeness. And then to, to develop your list and become the list as you, yeah. as you look for your partner. And then, you know, for Jeff and I, even once we met, we weren't quite ready. And so, but that gave us a chance to develop our friendship. Like, cause we didn't, we weren't high school sweethearts. We didn't know each other before, but once, but by the time we got married, we knew each other pretty well as friends, um, you know, that didn't date the entire time we knew each other. Yeah. So, Aww. yeah. Yeah. Wait, and so sweet. It was sweet. And I, I tell people all the time, I have a very blessed life that, mm -hmm. you know, it's so great now. I almost can't believe it, you know? Yeah. And, and I want to um, thank you for coming on the program. Uh, now to anyone viewing, Ruthie might only look like she's 30, but she's <laughs> actually 47. Yes, and I am. For any of you that, I mean, I didn't marry Kathy until I was 50. And so for any of you that think it's too late for me, life has passed me by, um, I've had too much drama and heartache, um, you know, think about Ruthie's story as well and, and uh, take some hope that all things work together for good to them that love God. Yeah. And, uh, and we've got all these self hypnosis tools and also the FCBO model, which, you know, you talked about old image replacement. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, that idea, I think all of that's super helpful. I hope people will take notes. Yeah, very much so. 
And how can people find you if they want to use your services or contact you for any other reason? Um, I have a YouTube channel. You can just search Ruthie Renee, R-E-N-A-E. Um, Quantum Field Trips is my .com is my website. And I do have a free Facebook group where I give a lot of content for free. Um, What's it called? It is called Conscious Creators, Self-Hypnosis and Mind Management. I think I'm in it. I think you are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And what's the name of your YouTube channel? You said it's Ruthie Renee. Yeah, you can search Ruthie Renee. I haven't, I, I think you have to get to a hundred followers before you can like make a name. I don't know how that works, but <laughs> maybe you could send us a link and we'll, we'll I can definitely send you a link for yeah, sure. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, just send us whatever you'd like and we'll we'll include that. Okay. And I didn't I didn't get to my one the easiest piece. I'm gonna leave you with yeah, this. Please, please the say self-hypnosis. This has been used by scientists and artists throughout history. And it's this one piece is giving your mind, I call it the directive. Before you go off to sleep, after you've said your prayers, you have the specific thing that you want and you loop it in your mind as you're going to sleep. So maybe you have a hard time waking up in the morning and you think in your mind as you're drifting off to sleep, 5 a.m. I feel so refreshed. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for 5 a.m. 5 a.m. I wake up with no problems. 5 a.m. is my friend. So you just keep looping what you want in your mind as you drift off to sleep. And it's amazing what happens. Now, sometimes if it's like a wake up and if it just happens, sometimes Mm -hmm. if you're wanting to heal something and you, maybe you're going after, um, forgive mom, forgive mom, forgive mom, forgive mom, forgive mom. That's your mantra as you fall asleep. Then over the next two or three days, you notice that just thoughts come into your head, or maybe you have a really interesting dream because we always work in symbolism in our dreams. So that is my number one go-to easiest self-hypnosis tool. Maybe you need a thought for your next book. Maybe you creative something or, or um, opportunity for a new job you just place that seed as you're drifting off to sleep and loop it until you fall asleep and see what that. happens oh thank you that's a great thing so tonight folks anyone listening anyone watching um do a loop whatever you want i mean i'm assuming you can just switch it up every night yeah. whatever absolutely and then post in the comments like let us know what happens i've had some really fun stories with this (laughs) i'm gonna do it with my my self-hypnosis course and then we come back over the next couple weeks and share the stories they're so fun perfect thank you so much thank you thank you you guys Um, have a great night well while we're closing out uh, we're just going to end with our normal statement which is to remember that any time is a great time for more love in your life. Thank you for watching. Amen. Subscribe to LilyPod and get notice of each new weekly episode. If you enjoy what you heard, give us a positive review. We want to reach as many mid-singles and later married couples as possible, so please share this podcast with those you love. 
To access fabulous free content like written articles and YouTube videos on LilyDube, and to learn about our book Intentional Courtship and Lily Coaching Services, visit loveinlateryears.com.